podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello everyone, welcome to this week's TSFP, the Spanish Football Podcast, with me, Phil Kitchman-Ladies, and his eminence, Dr. Sidlow. Hello, Sydney. Hello, Philip. How are you? I'm all right, mate. We thought we were going to have a quiet weekend this weekend, didn't we? With no La Liga or only one match in La Liga. Ah, a few Copa del Rey matches, that'll be nice. Spanish Super Cup, that'll be uh, nice as well. And it turned out to be quite an eventful weekend in Spain. It certainly did, yeah. Uh, Not least because of the Seville derby in the Copa del Rey, a game between Betis and Seville and Sevilla, which had to be abandoned. Uh, More on that uh, in just a second. Let's take you through the the results of the fixtures that happened uh, this weekend involving Spanish teams, because there were, bear with us, three different competitions uh, taking place involving Spanish sides uh, this weekend. The majority of the matches took place in the Copa del Rey. Uh, It was the last 16 of the competition. The Seville derby was eventually won by Betis, beating Sevilla uh, 2-1 um, 24 hours after the game actually started. The rest of the Copa del Rey results, uh, Mallorca uh, knocking out Espanyol by uh, two goals to one, a golazo from Kubo helping Mallorca into the last eight. Uh, the mighty Rayo Vallecano beating Girona 2-1, Sergi Guardiola scoring twice and Luca Zidane uh, making a last gasp penalty save as well to book Raito's place in the last eight for the first time in 20 years. Uh, Cadiz beat Sporting Gijón on penalties after the game finished 0-0. And Valencia beat Atletico Baleares by a solitary goal to nil scored in the first minute by Marcos André. It means that all teams in the quarterfinals will be uh, Primera División teams. Uh, we haven't had all the matches in the last 16. It's been a little bit complicated with the fixtures. Uh, this week in the Copa del Rey, we've got Real Sociedad against Atletico Madrid. El, uh, sorry. Real Sociedad against Atletico Madrid, Elche against Real Madrid and Athletic Club against Barca. We've also got a midweek round of La Liga fixtures as well. It is a little bit uh, confusing. We also had one match in La Liga this weekend on Sunday. Elche beating Villarreal by a goal to nil. But not many people were watching that, I don't think. Uh, What people were watching was the Seville derby. And it was pretty wild. Sydney... You know how long this podcast normally runs. Uh, we're going to try and <laughs> condense what happened uh, in that Seville derby to just just a few minutes. But if people don't know what happened, uh, didn't see it, didn't read about it, what the bloody hell happened? It's quite difficult to condense this, but I'm going to try. <laughs> yes. Um, we're usually really, very good at being sort of super succinct. And sort of... A really... <laughs> yeah, that's very much my calling card. A really, really enjoyable, really kind of open game in which Betis were probably the better side but a really enjoyable game um, see Sevilla score the first Betis equalise and in the celebrations during Betis's equaliser a plastic pole is thrown from the um, the, the end of the stadium where, where Betis's noisiest fans are uh, where I suppose you still define some of them as ultras where those are and it flies a very long way, actually, a very long way, and, and hits Joanne Jordan on the back of the head. To cut a very long story short, because there are loads of different elements, Joanne Jordan kind of goes up, sorry, goes down, gets up again. There's a few, there's quite a lot of conversations. Jordan then goes down again. And the two teams are taken off. There's a discussion in the dressing room about what happens. It takes a very long time, and eventually the game is abandoned, postponed. The Federation takes the decision that what will happen is that the game will restart the following day, which it does at four o'clock at 1-1 and with no fans in it. 
and eventually, with no fans, Betis go through anyway. Should probably say at this point, with no fans and also with no Joanne Jordan, who has been taken uh, to hospital for observation and then I think stays at home for observation that night. Uh, so essentially, that's the long and short of it. But it's much okay, more complicated. It's much more complicated than that because then you get a series of yes. mutual accusations and a refusal to accept some of the decisions made, actually from both sides, for different reasons. Um, okay, well, let's get into those it's then. Not, it's um, not so, going to end now. No, okay. So, But let's get into those then. It was obviously, it's controversial because the game was suspended because somebody's thrown a, um, a I was going to say a metal pole. It's a PVC pole. It's a, um, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's curious. I don't really know why the, the idea of it being a metal pole found its way into the media because it did in those first few reports. But you could see very clearly that it was a flagpole of some sort. Yes. A flagpole or, or some piece of plastic. Um, as you say, it was a PVC pole which hit Joanne Jordan on the head. Yeah. Um, obviously, that's controversial in itself, and the game is suspended. Well, I mean, look, look let's start everything we say. Let's start from there. Everything we say from here on, because because there is a risk, I think, that when you start talking about the fallout, that you lose sight of the fundamental, if you like, the origins of it all. And the origins of it all is, and forgive me for saying this, some bloody idiot does this and throws this stick and it hits Joanne Jordan. Now, um, the police had, and Betis with obviously the security cameras and so on, had identified the person that they had done it, or so they thought. The police now believe that's not the person and they're continuing the search. Uh, that, that, that happened, I think, back end of yesterday afternoon. Right. Um, that, 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 I, don't, I don't know, I must admit, I don't know if they've admitted this publicly, but that they think that that's not the right person, they're looking for someone. But they are trying to find the, the culprit. And then, yes, obviously, everything then goes from there. Yes, um, and it goes without saying, obviously, deplorable act, fully condemned, and you don't want to see anything like that even coming close to happening, even if it is the fieriest, fieriest and, and, and fiercest derby in Spain. Having said that, the the fallout from that is, on both sides, pretty controversial because uh, there are suggestions, suggestions that Joan Jordan was told to fall to the floor and pretend to be dizzy by his manager, Julian Lopetegui. And then Julian Lopetegui has come out and said some really quite bizarre things in relation to that. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, first things first, why would a manager do this? I suppose quite apart from just the sort of the immediate, uh, if, if this is true, by the way, and, and, and obviously a handful of Betis players have said so publicly. Um, and there are people who are down on the touchline who have said privately that this was the case and actually Lopetegui didn't entirely deny it did he what he said no. was people are talking about a thing that's not not the thing mm-hmm. he's, he's, he said they're making a big thing about something that isn't the point the point is a player got hit on the head with with a stick um why would he do that well a I suppose betters were playing very well b the possibility that the game was abandoned and the result given to Sevilla c the possibility which is what actually happened that the game is is abandoned with fans and replayed without those Betis fans. Uh, the next reason, I suppose, is that you're in a position where you've got some players missing because of COVID and injury and so on. And if it's replayed in a few days' time, you might get them back. But, of course, the fundamental reality of what happened was that when Sevilla came back to play this game, they did it without Joanne Jordan, who's a very important player. Um, that then led to accusations from Betis players, not just obviously after the event publicly, but, but down on the touchline, which is why there were some confrontations of Betis players saying, um, sorry, yeah, of Betis players saying, 
you know, why are you making a thing of this? Obviously, the first thing is it's hit someone, and that is a thing in itself, and that is a big thing. Why are you making a thing of this? And now that there's been some attempt to take advantage of it. And Manuel Pellegrini afterwards, for example, was saying things like, which isn't helpful, particularly helpful either, um, saying things like, I don't know if really uh, being hit on the head by a plastic stick is enough to create a what was known as a craniofacial trauma, which I suppose is what a doctor would call it, but it makes it sound really grandiose. It's yes. a, a, a bump on the head, a head injury. And we were actually talking about this yesterday, a group of correspondence here about how you translate this kind of very medicalized and very kind of dramatic language and I had this conversation with a Spaniard yesterday as well who was really upset about the fact that the English media had used words like projectile and missile and I was saying to this Spaniard to be honest we use this for anything that's thrown and actually you're right it sounds almost military it sounds you know it sounds like someone's got a scud missile out and, and sort of launched it with some sort of yeah some sort of mechanism from the stands which of course isn't the case so there's, there's, there's that as well but anyway that's kind of a, a slight tangent um, Pellegrini had said I don't know if this really is enough to make someone have uh, craniofacial trauma I don't know if it's really enough for the game to, to, to be stopped we've seen moments before when people have been hit by things nothing's really been said um, they carry on and then action is taken subsequently uh, and then what Julian Lopetegui said and you said it a slightly bizarre comment Lopetegui Basically said, obviously, apart as I say, the main thing was he was saying, you know, let's not focus on the unimportant thing. And obviously, the accusations against me and whether or not Joanne Jordan is is in a bad state. Um, but he then sort of saying, he basically said, I'm sick of this. I'm absolutely. He uses a phrase like "metokolos cojones." You know, this touches my balls. I'm absolutely sick of this. And he sort of says, for some things, we have extremely thin skin, like for example. Not, well, he used the word generic Domestic violence. Uh, yeah, it's not just domestic, though, is it? Because it can be out of the home. But yes, basically violence against women. Like, for example, violence against women. And now for this, there isn't any. Which I thought was a very bizarre parallel to draw. Now, I under, sort of understand what he was trying to say. He, he also talked because about... Because he then talked about the short skirt thing. About rape. Yes, well, yeah, I, think so, what, I think what his point is that in, in some uh, completely deplorable, inexcusable um, actions like somebody being raped or domestic violence, uh, there are on occasions people try to justify it by saying, oh, well, she was wearing a, a short mini skirt," and he's yeah. saying, well, you know, this, there's no justification for that and there's no justification for Joan Jordan yeah. getting hit by a metal pole. Exactly, which is why, as I say... That I, but uh, it was strange. Pl- plastic, yeah. plastic pole. Um, plastic pole. It's, it's why, I, as I say, yeah, I can sort of understand the point he was trying to make, but it was a very bizarre way of making it. Uh, one thing we did miss out, actually, and, and, and probably we should put this in. Um, yes. After after Jordan had been hit with the stick and before he went back down again, he was doing the slapping of his face gestures to the fans. So you're, yes. you're, you're shameless, you're brass necked, you know, you've got a cheek. Um, and actually, by the way, I see no reason why a player shouldn't do that if he's just been hit by a pole. But, 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 what, what I, but the point there is, is this has been part of the process in which people say, you see, there, there didn't seem to be anything wrong with him. And then there mm-hmm. was. Now, obviously, you can get a knock, feel like you're okay and then start to feel dizzy. And it's very, very important, I think, that there isn't kind of an immediate rejection of the suggestion that he was right, not least because he did miss the game. This is an inescapable fact. Joanne Jordan did miss the game the next day. He did, he did. And obviously he had a blow to the head and you can't be too careful with uh, head injuries. So obviously uh, it was uh, serious enough to keep to keep him out. <laughs> there was then a... Uh... A mocking of Joan Jordan from Andres Guardado after the full-time whistle 
once the game was resumed the, fo- the following day, when after the Betis players were leaving the pitch celebrating, he-, he threw a plastic bottle on his head and then pretended to fall down laughing, which was a bit unnecessary. Yeah, I'm going to say one thing in defence of Betis here. Okay. The, team- the teammates around him didn't seem to think it was that funny. There wasn't any yeah. sign, was there, of them joining in with him? Um, now, I know that doesn't excuse what he did, but it, it's kind of pleasing in a way, isn't it, that, that they kind of didn't go with him on it. Um, I can understand, again, if Betis players genuinely feel that there's been some attempt to make make the most of it and so on, that there's a, there's a degree of anger and maybe even a degree of mocking. He has claimed it was nothing to do with it. It wasn't mocking at all. What? But, I mean, frankly, that argument does, just, doesn't, <laughs> what? just doesn't wash. Um, <laughs> and, and that was pretty, pretty poor. Really, really quite poor, yeah. Certainly was. The upshot of all of this is that Betis are in the last eight and Sevilla out, which is pretty much, I'm not going to say it's been forgotten, but it's, the result yeah. has been sort of been put to one side and overshadowed by everything that, that went before. The I other upshot, say- I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a sort of a broader question here, and it's one for which I must admit, and we wanted to try and keep this brief, but it's quite difficult, because I, I, partly because I don't have the answer here, and so, so therefore I might well go around in circles. But there's a broader point here, which I think is... Really important, but I actually don't know what the solution is. Um, but it feels to me, on a very basic level, on a level of justice and on a level of responsibility and so on, kind of deeply unfair that 55,000 people are denied a game of football, not just at the time, but then locked out the following day, because of the actions of one absolute moron. And So what should have happened? I don't know. This is what I mean. I don't have the answer, okay. right? But for example, I mean, yes, you, of course, it's very you, you, you think about this in any other sphere of life, and it doesn't mm-hmm. happen like this, except perhaps in things like well, let's not go down the political stroke war stroke. Um, uh, what would you call it? <laughs> occupied territory stroke argument. But but the idea that there are fifty five thousand people here, and one thing does one of them does something wrong, so let's punish all of them. Mm. If there's a if there's a <sighs> You know, there's, there's a house that gets burnt down with 55,000 people in it. Now, they all escape and they're all okay. But they don't all get charged with arson. They don't all pay for it. They, and, and there's a bit of me that thinks that there is a broader question here, which admittedly I've banged on about for a long time, which is the, if you like, this kind of this creeping criminalisation of all football fans. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think this feeds into that, which is, which is obviously fundamentally the fault of the idiot who did it. And you would like to think that he's standing there in the stands thinking, oh my God, I've ruined this for everyone. And you would like to think that the very few people who saw him do it, if anyone did, are, are, are ready to tell the police who it was, which perhaps is part of the process now of identifying him. You'd like to think that they're ready to make him a pariah for this. And you would like to think that the people who would sort of effectively support him or be on his side are very, very few. Um, but I, I just feel very uneasy about this idea of collective responsibility for what is one action. Hmm. for what is one action. And then there's another thing which actually goes the opposite of what I'm saying, which contradicts, doesn't contradict everything I'm saying, but goes against it. I have found it very hard to accept the hand-wringing and the, oh my God, isn't this terrible, from certain sections of the media whose whole raison d'etre is to confront, to wind up, to uh, put people in trenches, to act the clown... To, to make a show of this kind of thing, um, to make everything controversial and polemic and all the rest of it. Now, again, that doesn't necessarily lead to this. And again, there is a place for that sort of stuff so long as it doesn't go over a certain line and it's the guy that threw the stick that did it. But I, I just can't get away from... This is one man in 55,000 people. 
And, and so I don't know the answer. And in this sense, there's a bit of me also thinks, is, the, is what happens massively disproportionate to what did happen? And I sort of... What do you mean? Might, well, is, is, is the consequences of this act sort of disproportionate to the act itself? And this goes back to the very first thing. Let's start from the basic thing. What happened was deplorable. But I, I don't know. I, and as I say, I haven't got the answer. Surely the I really reaction haven't. to it has to be pretty extreme to hopefully I think it, I think it make does. sure that this doesn't happen again. I think <laughs> so it does. If, and if I think it is, do this in the future, yeah. I think, oh, wait, hold on. Maybe. That's, wh- that's why I don't have an answer. That is why I yeah. don't have an answer, because I recognise exactly that point. And, and that's why I don't really have an answer. And I don't know. But I do sort of feel like that when you identify the person because bear in mind it's an individual act and if it happens again it would be done by an individual if you identify that individual and that individual pays for it very heavily Mm. is that not in a way a better deterrent than closing the stadium I suppose what you're trying to do maybe is implicate the rest of the stadium in creating an environment or a reaction to bad behaviour that prevents Mm. it it's it's difficult I don't know the answer I don't know the Uh, answer one thing you can be sure of is that it was already the fiercest, fieriest derby in Spain the next time that him hits the end of February, the weekend of the 27th um, at the Estadio Ramon Sanchez Pijuan in, in the league. That is going to be <clears throat> quite some quite some and, atmosphere. And there's Hopefully a point, it, won't, it won't go as far as it went you know, at the weekend. Yeah, there's a point to be made there. And of course, this is a point which brings... Me and you in. Um, I mean, not not in a massively meaningful way, but what just, have I done? Just, no, no, we haven't done it. But what I mean okay. is, we do celebrate and glory in the idea of this being fiery and the and the relationship being tense and there being passion and it being you know noisy and and, and yeah, yes, confrontational. Let, let's not be mm-hmm. coy about it. We there is some enjoyment in that sort of slightly unrefined element of this derby as well as the the fun mm-hmm. element up to it. And that's the thing is, it's sometimes you think ah. And then it takes that step in and you wonder about not your own culpability as such, but were we sort of celebrating the wrong thing in a way? Does this partly play into that? But again, it comes back to something. Only one person did something wrong. There were 55 people there. I reckon you get 50, sorry, 55,000. I reckon you get 55,000 people from any walk of life together. And one of them's a dickhead. Probably a lot more than one of them's a dickhead. Yes. Generally, our mantra on this podcast is don't be a dickhead. You know, we have to really try to, yeah. especially, you know, if you're going to a football game, don't be a dickhead and you should be all right. Someone was on Saturday and 55,000 people uh, paid the price for it there. And obviously everyone watching around the world as well. The whole spectacle was was ruined. Um, we're going to move on and talk about the Spanish Super Cup because it was played in Saudi Arabia again. And it was won by Real Madrid. They beat Athletic Club 2-0 in the final on Sunday evening uh, in Riyadh. It was it was quite a straightforward win for Real Madrid uh, in the end. They'd been made to work really hard by uh, Barcelona in the semi-finals. It went to extra time. They beat the Blaugrana 3-2. Athletic, of course, had come from behind to beat Atletico Madrid in the semi-final and make the final of the competition they'd won last year. They were the defending champions, but in truth... It was really, really comfortable for Real Madrid. And once again, their incredible spine was on display. Thibaut Courtois makes at least one brilliant save again. He made one of the best penalty saves I've ever seen, actually, I think, in the 86th minute from uh, Raul Garcia. Luka Modric was superb again. Man of the match, scored the opening goal, and, and Benzema was Benzema. So a very, very strong performance from Real Madrid. Yeah, I thought the game started really well, and it was really enjoyable, and it was quite open, and Athletic looked quite threatening. Without creating super clear chances, they, they looked quite threatening. I thought, this is a good game, but I think it 
probably needed Athletic to score first mm. for it to remain a good game, if you see what I mean. Uh, a good game in the sense of a little bit open, both teams could win it and so on. Once Madrid had scored the first, and admittedly the fact that they get, then got the second really early in the second half with a, with a penalty that Benzema scored... And the first goal was, 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 was gorgeous as well. Because it actually starts with Courtois rolling it out. So the move starts in one area and ends up on the edge of the other where, where Modric, who's already played the pass that opens the play out to the right for Rodrigo, he then curls in a really, really lovely finish. And at that point, Madrid just took control. I think, as I say, there was a 25 or 30-minute period of the game being really good and athletic, very definitely in it. There was maybe a 15, possibly not quite that long, 10-minute period at the end when Athletic started to really push Madrid back. I think partly because Madrid knew it was over. So in a way, it sort of ensured that it might not be because they kind of dropped a little bit deeper. The tension went out of the game a little bit. Athletic really went for them. And had they scored the penalty, to use Thibaut Courtois' nice line after the game, he says if they score that, so they get a penalty in, what was it, the 85th minute, he says there's seven or eight minutes of heart attacks to come Mm. because they would have kept coming for us and they were growing increasingly. I loved his line, by the way. He was asked about the fact that Athletic kind of attacked him and he'd had a couple of saves to make in the sort of four or five minutes before the penalty. And he said they were warming me up. <laughs> Which, uh, I don't think he quite made it, meant it like that, but it was, it was a nice way of putting it. Um, and Athletic, so that, so that enabled, I think, more than genuinely threatening Madrid, although had they scored the penalty, they might well have done. That enabled, I think, Athletic to then take some pride in the defeat and, and, to, and to talk about being proud of having played in four finals in a year. And, and so on. But, but you're right, Madrid took this comfortably. And I was thinking this yesterday. One of the things I, I've really liked about Ancelotti, and he did it again in the build-up to this final, was the way that he's tried to decriminalise the counter-attack. The way that he's tried to embrace it and say, well, yeah, well, why wouldn't we do that? But of course, what Madrid have is they have a variety of different ways to play you. And so we saw this because of the Barcelona game when Barcelona's midfield took control. But this time Madrid's midfield took control. And Madrid can do a bit of both. They can play it both ways. Um, and, and as you say, I think fundamentally, by the end, you say, yeah, this was basically a comfortable win. But there were moments when you thought it might not be. Uh, first silverware for Carlo Ancelotti on his return to Real Madrid. He's now won five different competitions. The only one missing is La Liga. If they win La Liga, he'll be the first manager in Real Madrid history to win all six of the titles and trophies available. It's basically gone as well as anyone could have imagined for Carlo Ancelotti on his return. You see where they are at the top of the table. They've won the Spanish Super Cup. It's, it's going really well. It could not have gone better. Um, and it's and it's funny, really, because of course, this was an unexpected return, and it was an unintended return as well. Um, I, I believe I may have told this story before, but essentially a conversation about something else between Ancelotti and and, and Real Madrid ends with a discussion about Ancelotti's position as a coach and Real Madrid's search for a coach, and a kind of there's a kind of a hang on a minute, if we put these two things together, there's a kind of a moment go. So, well, I mean. You could come here. <laughs> and and um, that's basically how it happens. Um, Ancelotti, as he has actually said publicly a few times, I don't know if he said it in quite these terms, but Ancelotti was basically like, I can't believe it. He can't believe his luck. That at the end of his career, when he thought this kind of job was behind him, suddenly there's Real Madrid again. And he's just enjoying it. And um, there's a... Well, I don't know how you say this in English. Ancelotti's reached the moment where it's just like nothing really bothers him anymore. Mm. But that's not to say that he doesn't care. But it is to say that all that crap that comes with this job, he <laughs> doesn't care about that. He mm. really doesn't. And look, let's be honest about this. When he left Real Madrid, 
he was upset. He was hurt and he was angry about the fact that he'd been pushed out and the way in which it had unfolded. But that doesn't stop him coming back. Why? Because it's a very, very basic thing. It's Real Madrid. He loved living in Madrid. He did. It's a team where he can win things. It's a fantastic club. Um, you know, let's not go down this sort of the obvious hyperbolic route, but it is the biggest club in the world. And suddenly a guy who, and forgive me for saying this, Everton fans, who was at Everton, who was sort of meandering a bit, who, who, was, who, who wasn't doing an outrageously good job or an outrageously bad one, but, you know, and was happy enough, by the way. You know, was happy enough. But suddenly this turns up. It's like, great. And I think that's one of the things that has been the secret to success is none of the nonsense gets to him. The competitiveness is still there, but, but worn even more lightly than ever before. And so you see the change in him at the start of the season was a desi- the, the insistence on the defensive solidity. But with time, it's, it's like he's put on a comfy pair of slippers. It's like, <laughs> here we go. We're all back where we are. We, we, we all like this. Uh, defensive solidity, obviously very important for Real Madrid, but... He's had to do it and he's had to implement it with a, with a, with a new defence, certainly a new centre-back pairing. Losing Sergio Ramos and Rafael Varane in the summer was obviously absolutely massive. Replacing them with Militao and Alaba looks like it's going pretty well. It's going very well. And, and I suppose you could say in the case of Militao, the back end of last season, we were starting to see that he could be good, weren't we? Yes. Oh, yeah. um, and, and until then, maybe we hadn't. And until then, I think there have been significant doubts about him, but perhaps it's a question of continuity. And it's also a question of partnerships, I think. Mm. The, the complement... Uh, is there is complement... Complementness? The com- no. complementability of the two centre-backs? Compatibility. Compatibility is the word yeah. I'm looking for. I really do forget how to speak English sometimes. God, it does yeah. happen. It does compatibility. Yeah. Complementability. Yeah, the complementability <laughs> of the two centre-backs is, is really important, and that's worked very well. I think, I think um, there have been moments, by the way, this season when you've sort of thought, oof, positionally they're, they're slightly out, but, it's, but they've kind of settled well. They've got a brilliant goalkeeper behind them, who means that when something goes wrong, he makes amazing saves. We didn't really mention it, actually. But the penalty save that he made, you said it was one of the best ever. He dives the wrong way. And it's not just that it hits his foot. It's that he actually flings his foot up at it. Mm. It's a completely brilliant save. Every game, there's a Courtois miracle. Every game. Uh, yesterday, it felt like he wasn't going to have one. And then he gets the penalty at the end. And you're right. The, that defence is working very well. I think, I think Mendy has... I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm, I don't know what my position is with, with Mendy. Because I always sort of watch him and think, he's not that good. But... Let me preface this by saying, not that could within the context of elite, elite, elite fullbacks, mm-hmm. but actually, that defence does look so much more solid when he's in it. it. It makes much more sense when he's in it. He, he he's sort of slightly a bit wooden, isn't he, in some of his movements? Mm. But but you know they're they're very very solid. I think Lucas Vasquez has been brilliant. I don't, I don't know if we talk about him enough because I think Danny Carvajal is really really important for that defence. But Lucas has played really well in a position that's not his. Um, and just the whole thing falls into place. And then I love Ancelotti's willingness to let the players not just take responsibility, but feel like they're taking responsibility. There was a lovely line that Vicente del Bosque once came up with about sowing an idea and letting the players think that they're the ones who came up with it. <laughs> and I think Ancelotti does a lot of that. There's a lot of suggestion. And he said that line, didn't he, not long ago, when he said, I don't tell them if feel free what to do. And they do things that surprise me because they're so good, they just kind of get on with it. Mm-hmm. And, and there's an element of truth in that, by the way, but you, it takes a good manager to see it and nurture it and, and sort of provide the conditions for, for, for which they can continue to do it. Complementability might be the name of today's podcast. <laughs> invented a marvellous new word. Uh, Spanish Super Cup champions Real Madrid, then. They're in action uh, this week in midweek against Elche in the Copa del Rey. 
And Elche uh, were victorious this weekend in the only game uh, in La Liga, beating Villarreal by a goal to nil. Uh, It was the first time that they've won back-to-back games since May. There has been a a definite improvement since Francisco uh, took over and replaced uh, Fran Escribar in the previous 10 matches before Escribar was sacked. They only won one in Francisco's 10 games in charge. They've won six in all competitions. A couple of draws and a couple of defeats. Those two defeats also a pretty narrow single goal margin defeats to Barcelona and Valencia conceding late on in in both of those. Lucas Boyer came off the bench to score the only goal of the game. He is an excellent forward, the the Argentine striker. I really didn't think I'd be saying this um, maybe 12 months ago, but he's Well, we we even had this conversation, didn't we? I I don't know if we had it on the pod or if we just had it on WhatsApp. I remember saying that we'd sort of talking about Elche and saying they don't really have very much. And me saying, well, I really like Lucas Boyer. And he said, well, I'm, I'm not sure about yeah. him and, and he he's definitely taken a step up and, and there's also I think the thing about him particularly at, at Elche's level is he can do a lot of things sort of on his own uh-huh. you know he can be the outlet and, and not necessarily um, not so much need the support from his teammates as be the support for his teammates mm. if you see what I mean mm. um, disappointment for for Villarreal, who have who have only won one away from home all season this was a real chance for them as well had they won they would have gone Level on points with with Barcelona, just a a point off the Champions League places as well. But a a real, real uh, chance thrown away from Unai Emery's side. Gerard Moreno, well, he'd been in such good form, but didn't manage to really get into the game. And if he's not really in the game, then they don't really look like scoring. And that's a a problem for for Villarreal. Yeah, and and the real problem is exactly that sense that in the last few weeks, you started to think they're getting it right now. This is a real team. And now this is a result from two months ago. Yes. This is the kind of thing that two months ago wouldn't have surprised you in the slightest, mm-hmm. although you'd have probably expected a draw. Mm. But now it sort of feels like, oh, this is a regression because we thought they were gathering momentum. Mm. There we go. Disappointment for uh, Villarreal, who aren't in the Copa del Rey, but as we said, Elche are. This is what's coming up uh, this week because we do have La Liga games and Copa del Rey matches on the same day and sometimes at the same time as well. It is it is a bit of a, a bit of a mix. Uh, in La Liga, you've got Betis against Alaves, Cadiz against Espanyol, Celta Osasuna, Valencia Sevilla and Getafe Granada. In the Copa del Rey, as I mentioned at the top of the programme, Real Sociedad Atleti, Elche Real Madrid and Athletic Club against Barca. So some very interesting looking ties uh, there. Um, if you'd like to have more Spanish football content. If this podcast just wasn't enough for you, why not come and join us at patreon.com forward slash TSFP? It's just over four euros a month. You get hours and hours and hours of bonus content uh, each month. Plus, you get access to our archive of literally hundreds of hours of bonus content. Maybe a hundred hours. I'm not sure, but loads of archive content. It's a lot. Uh, we've started a brand new series called TSFP Presents at the Games last week. We're going to be taking you on a city-by-city guide to going to games in Spain. When, where, how, why? So what better time uh, to join us at patreon.com forward slash TSFP. It's just over four euros a month. Uh, where are you going this week, Sydney, in terms of matches? Are you going anywhere? I'm going to Cardiff tomorrow. Wow, are you? Wow. To see the fir- first game under, under Sergio. Yeah. And then I, I was going to go to Sevilla... Uh, against Valencia on Wednesday, but then the sort of a mi- mix mix up of all the games yes. kind of made me think actually there's no way of keeping on top of everything yes. if you're in a ground. It's bizarre that you're in a situation where going to the ground sort of stops you seeing things. <laughs> you're not going to Catafe. Sort of, 
I'm going to Getafe. That's Thursday night, That's isn't Thursday it? night. It's the same time as Elche Real Madrid. I am going to that, okay. yes. You can have Elche Real Madrid on the laptop. I think I probably will have that on the laptop, yeah. Okay, there we go. That's what's coming up for, for Sydney uh, this week. Uh, tomorrow, we've got a Q&A podcast for patrons answering all of your questions. If there was something that we didn't talk about that you'd like us to talk about, send us a question. We'll answer it tomorrow. Bonus pod coming up on Thursday as well. So come and join us at Patreon. And if you don't, all right. Don't worry, we won't hold it against you. Instead, we'll be back here next Monday, as we always are. Until then, adios amigos. Cheerio. Network.